Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everybody, live from Columbia, Missouri, where it's hotter than donut grease. This is Tony Richards and producer Bill, and this is another episode of Better Than Before, powered by Clear Vision Development Group. Bill, welcome. Well, thank you, Tony. If you'd like, we have all kinds of free downloads at our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. And I want to call your attention to the Communication Pie tool. You can go to our website and get that absolutely free. And what it does, and if you didn't catch the podcast where we talked about that, it helps you analyze uh, the time you're spending in different areas of communication. And it's a handy little tool. Another thing you can do absolutely free there is you can subscribe to our Monday morning memo. We get a lot of compliments on our Monday morning email newsletter. It's all new content every week that we do not publish anywhere else. All we need is your email address and permission to email you, and then you'll start getting it on Mondays. So, Bill, uh, in this first segment, I'll tell you, first of all, what else is coming up on the show. In segment two, I'm going to give you some news of the day, some interesting things that are going on in business news that I think might be of interest to you. And then segment three, I've got our business and leadership lesson all lined up today, and it's going to all be about recognizing and dealing with reality And so that's coming up uh, in segment three. But in segment one, Bill and I often talk about our uh, stock investments. And so I thought that might be kind of interesting if we talk about that a little bit on the show today. Let me throw the disclaimer in. We are not giving financial or stock market advice, and we do not advocate any of this for anybody other than ourselves. However, we are willing to share a few things that we've learned over the years in case you're interested in maybe managing some of your own money. Uh, in the stock market, which is one of the fastest ways that you can build some wealth and some security for your retirement. If you don't want to give all your money to a financial professional, you want to try it on your own, we are happy to help you uh, with some stuff. So Bill, why did you start investing some of your own money? For me, it was the big mystery behind the curtain. My financial planner was always moving things around, and I was curious what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And then once I got into it, I decided to take a class on the stock market and learn more. Where did you take the class? It was at the Columbia Area uh, Career Center. Oh, okay, just up the road here. Right. They bring in authors and people that know things from all over the country. And the woman that came in, I forget her name, she came in from California to teach a class. There are a bunch of different philosophies on investing. What was her basic philosophy? Long term. Think long term. Mm -hmm. Basically, think Warren Buffett. Yeah, and I definitely want to share some of my investing philosophy, which comes directly from Warren Buffett also. But I think if you take the long-term mentality, what's interesting is we had the big financial situation in 2007, 2008, some of 2009, before the market turned around. And uh, I don't want to downplay that because it really caused a lot of people to lose a lot of money. And then people, as a reactionary move, immediately got out Right. So then when the market came back, a lot of people really missed the rebound we've had over the last 11 years or 12 years or so because they got scared because of what happened. And I 
I definitely understand that. Right. And I was lucky. That's about the time I got into it. Yeah, that's about the time I started investing on my own also is right around the time that it happened. As a matter of fact, I one of the first boneheaded things I did was uh, one of the first things I bought was I bought some General Motors. I didn't buy a large position or anything like that, but I bought it through my broker uh, who was managing some of my money at the time. Mm-hmm. They didn't tell me about the bankruptcy and the government and all that, so I ended up losing that whole position because they ended up taking the company private and oh, wow. the government took it over, as you'll remember. They called it Government Motors there for a while. But I learned that I was just one of seven or 800 clients, and they can't possibly keep up with everybody in the kind of detail I was kind of looking for. Right. I didn't blame all of it on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I really wish I would have known uh, that and could have acted faster. Mm-hmm. My point there was going to be that over a long period of time, if you look from like 1980 to 2018, that big crisis in 0708 looks like just a little dip right. in the stock market. Over a long period of time, you're going to have ups and downs. What's happened is it has always accelerated and gone up, like it's going to the upper right on the graph, right? And right. and there's some hills and peaks and valleys and this, that, and the other, and you're going to have that. So your person was telling you that over a long period of time, consistency was the key, right? Right. There's always going to be movement. And uh, if you look at the long term, a quality stock will consistently move upward. Right now, I mean, in the summertime, a lot of times you don't have as much upward movement. Usually from October to April is when you see a lot of movement in the market. The price of a stock is determined by how much people are buying and selling it. And also it's determined by how much earnings that company has per share of the company that's available. Right now, there's actually some headwinds in the market that are keeping the market down. One of those is rising interest rates. So we're getting a little bit of inflation now. The government is continuing to jack the interest rates up because interest rates being low is one of the things that creates inflation. So they're trying to, because they went to zero during the financial crisis and they've slowly but surely ratcheted up about a quarter of a point every quarter. They're still going to keep doing that while they're still trying to keep an eye on inflation. That causes the market to not move in an upward position if there's rising interest rates. Another thing is all this talk about trade wars and tariffs, countries not being able to be fair with each other in their trade uh, back and forth and all that. So the trade war talk has got the market at a little bit of a, a paralysis. And then the other thing that happens every couple of years is we got an election coming up. And so we'll have a midterm election every two years. We've got that coming up in November. And for whatever reason, people in the market don't think that life is going to go on after the election. And they just take a wait-and-see attitude uh, when elections happen. And that causes a headwind with the market also. Until we get some clarity on interest rates, on trade war, and on the until we get the election behind us, the market may continue to move in kind of a range 
and in a sluggish, that's my perception. Again, we're not giving you advice, <laughs> but I do a lot of reading on the subject. I know you do too. We read a lot of the same newsletters and stuff, just trying to educate ourselves and trying to be informed. And so I thought, why wouldn't we want to share some of this information with people? And they, it's up to them, you know, to take or leave it. Just don't do anything we said and blame us for it, right? <laughs> you kind of talked about Warren Buffett, right? And so one of the things I wanted to share with people is, you know, Warren Buffett's company, he, he co-owns that with Charlie Munger. Several years ago, they published in their annual report their owner-related principles for Berkshire Hathaway, which is their company. I know Warren has quite a reputation as a stock picker and as an investor, but really he's built his wealth on buying companies and he owns uh, probably 50 or 60 companies. He, uh, and these companies are all held in the holding company called Berkshire Hathaway. And this very first owner related principle that he shared is probably the cornerstone of his investing and also became kind of a cornerstone for me. And he says, although our company is corporate, our attitude is partnership. Charlie Munger and I think of our shareholders as owner partners and of ourselves as managing partners. We do not view the company itself as the ultimate owner of the assets, but instead view the company as a conduit through which our shareholders own the assets. Warren's basic philosophy that rubbed off on me was invest long term, buy things that you like, buy things that you understand and buy things that you would like to be the owner of. Right. So when you buy a share of a company, you essentially become an owner of that company. And I think that might be one of the coolest things God's ever invented <laughs> is the fact that you can right now, uh, and my particular stock that I want to talk about today that's a favorite of mine, for about 70 bucks a share, you can be an owner of this company. And there are certainly ones that are cheaper than that price-wise and ones that are higher, right? Right. Yeah, that's pretty good mid-range. I mean, so is that kind of your attitude also as far as what you buy for yourself as far yes. as investment? Yeah, absolutely. So what stock did you pick today? Well, if you had to guess, which one would you guess? I really don't know. Oh. I, I have about five in mind. You want me to just take a wild shot? Take a wild shot. Uh, oh, is it Church and Dwight? Yes, that, Church and Dwight. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I figured you'd guess that one. Well, a little history on Church and Dwight, if you're not familiar with them. They are basically Arm & Hammer. They are the leading producer of baking soda in the world. Oh, wow. Yeah, the company was founded in 1846 um, to unify two companies created by John Dwight and his brother-in-law, Austin Church. Very cool. Uh, the partnership began in 1846, like I said, with two founders selling sodium bicarbonate, which is also known as baking soda. The best-known products from this company, you know, of course, they're Arm & Hammer, but also they have Trojan, they are OxyClean, WaterPick, and First Response. Wow. And First Response is a pregnancy test. So are they in the same category? You can tell I don't own any of these, right? Mm -hmm. Are they in the same category with Procter & Gamble? Is yes. that the same product category? Yes, and they are considered the smallest company um, trading on the New York Exchange, I believe, in that category. So why do you like Church & Dwight so much? Ah, good question. Because they're steady. They consistently grow, but they're not going to wow you with their growth. 
they kind of sneak up on you. You know, you, you look at the beginning of the year and you, you see where they're at. And by the end of the year, you're like, wow, they just went up $23. So what year did you buy your first share of Church and Dwight? Uh, 2011. And how much did you pay for it? I paid around $50 a share. What's it trade for today? Right now it's 58 but there's also been a split. Ah, so tell everybody what that means. So when they get to a certain point, uh, some companies decide instead of maintaining a price, they will split it in half, and basically you'll get two shares. At least in this split, I got two shares for every one share, but that made the price go down in half also. Over time, usually it'll grow again, and they'll get up to, basically with Church and Dwight, they go to about 100 to 110 before they split. And so when it splits, doesn't that also keep down your original price? I mean, the amount that you paid versus what it's trading at today. So don't you automatically get some equity there? Right. Um, when Church and Dwight split this last time, they were trading around 110. Oh, wow. And so right now... So they, then it split and went back to the 50s. Right. right. It went back. It Actually, um, it dropped quite a bit. It went down into the 40s for a while. So it can be a pretty good idea to buy right before a split, I guess. Right. And that's usually what will drive the price up. It was trading around 100 and then they announced the split and it shot up $10. That's awesome. Yeah. What else do you like about it? I like their philosophy. They're not big risk takers. When they acquire a company or they decide to roll out a new product, there's a lot of thought that goes behind it and a lot of strategy. And so they're not quick to react, but when they do, it's usually a solid decision. Oh, wow. And also they pay a dividend. I, I don't own any stock that doesn't pay a dividend. So in other words, in exchange for being an owner, you also get part of the profit, which right. is what the dividend is, right? Yeah, every quarter I get a, uh, a dividend check. They are paying currently about almost 22 cents. They're a little under 22 cents a, a share. And that doesn't sound like very much until you own quite a few shares. That 22 cents multiplies with every share. It does. And it's passive income. You know, it just shows up at my door. So in other words, 100 shares will get you $22. Right. And 1,000 shares will get you $220. Right. And, you know, you don't have to buy that all at once. You can build that up. You can do also what's called a drip, which is a reinvestment plan, and you just let your dividends reinvest into the stock. So you never really even touch that money. I don't. But when that dividend check comes, it just goes right back in, right? Correct. And does it automatically buy more shares of Church and Dwight for you then? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good one. That's a real good one. I'm not in that particular category, and I'd like to be at some point, but... I mean, I think you've got to stay focused, too. And again, buy what you like, buy what you know, buy what you would like to own. Right, right. I primarily am investing in American companies also. Yeah, same here. And I'm trying to think um, if I do have any foreign companies, and I don't. But also, these most of these companies I invest in are international companies with home bases. Sure, global. Right. And a lot of people ask why why you do that. And for me, it's just that the United States economy is really strong. I've got some others that are heavily uh, betting on China, for sure. Mm-hmm. And their growth is basically going to be happening in emerging markets. They're pretty much, the penetration of the U.S. has gone as far as it can go. So they have to grow in other places. Right. Um, but they're based primarily in the United States. 
You can make money all different kinds of ways in the stock market for sure. I mean, I'm not a day trader and there are day traders that make a lot of money. I mean, that's pretty much what you do if you're going to do that because you're on it every day. There are people that invest. We had uh, Tim Danzi here a couple of podcasts ago who had talked about commodities. Um, there are people that invest all different kinds of ways in the stock market. I'm like you. So in one way, our listeners are only going to get one view because I'm like you. I'm a long-term exponential investor that believes the more I buy, it keeps multiplying. And then over time, I'm going to get exponential growth from that. I do differ from you on one thing. I do have some companies that don't pay a, a dividend. Like I, I've got some Berkshire Hathaway, which is Warren's company, doesn't pay a dividend. I have a Facebook which I think is going to continue to grow in value. Its IPO was $31, and now it's $200, uh, which is pretty strong growth in four or five years. I do diverge from your philosophy a little bit, but I understand it's nice to get that dividend check every quarter. You know, the great thing about dividends is that they usually raise them every year, and it outpaces inflation. It's the power of the penny, right? right? If they just go up one cent, depending on how many shares you own, that multiplies, and that can be quite a bit of a raise every year on that. Absolutely. Uh, I think the main thing is to put it in there, don't touch it, and let it do its thing over a long period of time. And when I say long period, at least 20 years, which begs the question, and you and I have had this conversation a lot, don't you wish you would have done it sooner? Because the thing that holds you back is your own personal age, right? You only have so much of a time horizon. Right. And time is your friend in, with investments. And if you had known this when you were 20, uh, you would have started doing it at 20, right? Right, right. So my company that I brought today that's my, my favorite, and it, it's the first stock I ever bought, and uh, it's ConocoPhillips. Uh, which is an oil company. It's based in Houston, Texas. It's an independent oil company. It's one of the companies that was originally part of Standard Oil when they busted up Standard Oil uh, that John D. Rockefeller had. So they caused him to have to break up his company. Mm. They declared it a monopoly around 1906, 1907, somewhere around there. Standard Oil was so big that it busted into seven other companies. Wow. So Exxon, Chevron, Esso, and several of them. This one eventually became to be Conoco, which was the smallest of the seven. But I like oil, and I like oil companies. I know how they work. I understand the business model. And there are a couple of different kinds of companies you can buy in the oil industry. ConocoPhillips is an E&P, which is called Exploration and Production they're always looking for new oil to places to drill and, and place to produce. And what's interesting about it is I bought the stock in 2007, which was right at the beginning of the downturn. And in about two or three years after I started buying it, it split into two companies. So it split into ConocoPhillips and then Phillips 66. So I still have my shares that I got for nothing just by owning the company. So they automatically gave me shares of Phillips 66 because the company split in two. Both of them, Phillips 66 and Conoco, both pay a dividend. So that's kind of nice. I haven't really continued to invest in Phillips 66. I've just let it sit there. And I think it was $31 when the company split and now it's 122 Wow. I could have invested in it and come out really well, but I just sat there with shares I didn't even pay for and I've just let them accumulate. Yeah, just let it do its thing. Yep. 
This is one I've had to have some courage with because I started buying it. It was around uh, mid-50s. We had this huge oil boom in 2011, 2012. It got up to about $75. It was paying $0.74 dividend, and then the oil busted. We had a bust in around 2014, 2015. Oil went to like $30 a barrel, which affected all the oil companies so the stock went to forty dollars so here i am with stock i've paid 55 and 60 dollars that now trades at 35 and 40 dollars and i'm gonna have the courage of my convictions not only did i stay i bought now i accumulated some more of that particular stock from the 35 dollar range it's now back to 70 a lot of times once you make a decision with a particular company whether or not it pays off for you is going to have to do with how much guts you have mm-hmm. i know you own that too and the other thing that made it painful was the 74 cent dividend went to 25 cents right you were making a third off the dividend what you were making and if you don't have the courage to hang in there and let that cycle play out it took about four years for that to play out. So now it's back to the levels it was uh, before. The dividend's still not there, but it will catch up and they will raise it over time. But sometimes it just has to do with hanging in there and not looking at it every day. (laughs) Right. And having confidence in the company itself. I mean, that's one thing Warren Buffett says too, is if you're going to look at your stock every day as it wiggles around in price, Don't think about it that way. He said, if you bought an apartment complex or you bought a farm, you wouldn't think about selling it every other day. You'd keep it for 25 years. So why wouldn't you think about your stock the same way? Once you decide to buy it, you made that decision based on some things besides price. If it's a good company, it's in a good industry, it has good management, it knows what it needs to do to make money, there's going to be good times, bad times. But if you hang in there and your time horizon is long enough, it usually straightens out. Right. Well, everyone has their own way of doing it. Yes. And so I think just figuring it out and taking small steps at first. Well, if you look at our GDP, our gross domestic product, and you look at corporate earnings, they're both really strong. I think sometimes if you're going to invest in the stock market, you kind of got to turn the news off because there's really no signs of any recession anytime soon. Now, of course, there will be one. There is always one and there will be another one at some point. But is it going to happen next year? I doubt it. I don't think at least 12 months out we're seeing any signs of recession. So Yeah, and you really can't play the market on trying to get in when it's bad. You know, timing the markets is tough. Right. It's going to do its own thing. And and you just have to jump in and and just know that if you look at quality companies, they will pay off in the long run. When Warren's asked that question, he said, is it a good time to buy right now? And he will say, always. It took me a while to really understand this principle. But he said, I love it when my stocks go down because then that's a chance for me to buy more. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought, if you're buying it, aren't you buying it for it to go up? Why would you want it to go down? But you can't always get the position you want on one buy. Maybe you want to buy 10 at a time or 20 at a time or 25 at a time or 50 at a time. Not everybody's going to go in and buy a block of 3,000. Right. The fact that it's cyclical gives you opportunity to strike. It's like a sale on something you really like. I know. I'm the same way. You know, sometimes it makes me a little nervous when um, a stock really starts to go down like uh, General Electric. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically lost half of its value. 
And if I didn't know that company as well as I do, about every 25 years or so, it has to reevaluate and reinvent itself and it about goes out of business and then they build it back up and it's a success again. Jack Welch had to do the same thing in 1980 with the company. So it's not the first time this has happened. Right. That's the thing on General Electric is you just don't know when's it going to turn, right? And you want to get in before that turn happens, but you get in and it goes lower and you're like, oh, I missed it, but can't worry about that much stuff, I guess. I agree. Okay, stand by. Coming up next, I've got some business news I'm going to share with you. What's going on in the world today? There's a couple of things that I thought were interesting, so I hope you find them interesting too, and we'll get to that next on Better Than Before. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. Tony Richards here. In this segment, I want to talk a little bit about some things that I saw in the news recently I thought you might think are interesting too. CEOs are joining President Trump for job training pledges. I don't know if you heard about this or not, but more than a dozen major companies and associations have signed on to a pledge to the American worker. It's going to be announced by President Trump uh, just any day now. And the employers have committed to new investments in job training for hundreds of thousands of current and future workers over the next five years. Several CEOs are supporting this. And uh, are there going to be there when he signs the executive order for it? Cabinet secretaries and workers from around the country will also be there. The White House says the workforce initiative was spearheaded by Ivanka Trump and the Domestic Policy Council. The reason this caught my attention, I think it's really important, is because minority workers, people without high school degrees, and those with disabilities, they're going to benefit huge from this program which will include new slots for apprenticeship and work-based learning, continuing education, and on-the-job training. Also, in the life of our illustrious president, he is now suggesting that we update the paint job on Air Force One. <laughs> and so um, he wants to take the blue robin's egg color, uh, and he wants to trade that for a bolder, more American, whatever that means. I'm doing my quotes in the air, more <laughs> American look. He sat down recently with Boeing CEO Dennis Muhlenberg, and he asked him to knock out $4 billion for this pair of 747s uh, that would be new for a new replacement of Air Force One. And uh, so he's he's going to change the plane signature blue and white look. So anytime you get ready to change something, there's going to be upset people, right? Right. Especially if it's been a little while. So what president you think originally came up with the design that he now wants to change for Air Force One? Boy, I have no idea. So that would be President John F. Kennedy. Wow. And so John F. and Jackie Kennedy in the early 60s, uh, came up with that blue and white Air Force One look. President Trump wants a different color scheme. 
And so you can imagine the apple carts that's that's upsetting. <laughs> you know, anytime anybody wants to change a color, a logo, a name of a company, but now he's wanting to change the color of Air Force One, and uh, he's wanting to go more red, white, and blue uh, rather than the blue and white robin's egg type color. And they're even challenging whether or not a president can make this change. I mean, can can he pretty much do whatever he wants? I mean... Can't imagine why he wouldn't be able to I mean, do it. He's also pretty proud of his personal Boeing 757, which he used on his campaign. So here's some of the updates he wants. He wants the presidential bed to be larger and more comfortable. He wants several little changes. I'm not going to go through all these, but it's no big deal, really. It's just going to change the color. The thing about it is it's going to take until January 20th, 2021 to be done. So I guess he's thinking he might get reelected in 2020 because he won't have a new plane until a year after. The reason it takes so long is they have to convert these commercial planes into these flying White Houses, right? So they've right. got to have the command center, the press room, and all that stuff. It's a change. And anytime, <laughs> believe me, I work with people who make changes in companies all the time. And it's amazing how small things turn into big things because uh, people don't like change. So 5G is coming. We're on 4G on all of our cell phones and mobile devices now. And uh, in a lot of my seminars with boards and management teams, I've been talking about how 5G is going to revolutionize and change things. Well, 5G is going to generate an estimated $12.3 trillion economy. And Qualcomm, the company, is driving 5G. According to a study by IHS in 2035, when 5G's full economic benefit would be realized, industries around the world could produce up to $12.3 trillion worth of goods and services that they can't do today. So 5G is going to be able to drive that. And so I went to Qualcomm's website, and there are a couple of things I want to share from you here. It says, 5G mobile technology will, like electricity or the automobile, benefit entire economies and benefit entire societies. This is because the global 5G standard will advance mobile from a largely a set of technologies connecting people to people and people to information to a unified connectivity fabric connecting people to everything. In 2035, when 5G's full economic benefits should be realized across the globe, a broad range of industries from retail to education, transportation to entertainment, and everything in between could produce up to $12.3 trillion worth of goods and services. The 5G mobile value chain alone could generate up to $3.5 trillion in revenue and support up to 22 million jobs. And over time, the total contribution of 5G to real global GDP growth is expected to be equivalent to a country the size of India. And India currently ranks as the seventh largest economy in the world. Wow. So is it a big deal going from 4G to 5G? Apparently. It's like an economy the size of India. So, yeah, apparently so. I mean, we're becoming more and more dependent on our mobile devices. And we're watching more television on mobile. We're watching more movies on mobile. We're getting more data streams. So they're making the pipe bigger wow. and faster. Dark money. You've heard of dark money? Mm -hmm. Dark money funds up to 40% of midterm advertisements. 
Secret donors financed more than four out of every ten television ads that outside groups broadcast this year to influence November's high-stakes congressional elections. Two Coke-affiliated groups account for more than one-quarter of the House and Senate advertising from groups that don't disclose their donors. It was also revealed this weekend that Elon Musk gave a bunch of money to the Republican Party, and that had Twitter all fired up. Coke advocacy advocacy groups, Americans for Prosperity and Concerned Veterans for America, have trained their advertising fire on five Democratic senators up for re-election. This one will catch your ear, so Claire McCaskill of Missouri is one. Senator Joe Donnelly of Indiana. Joanne Tester of Montana. Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota. And Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin. 386,000 television spots are focused on the House and Senate races from January 1st to July 8th, surpassing the 355,464 television spots that ran at the same point in the last midterm elections in 2014. The spending is about to soar even higher, so all of you uh, radio and television people who don't like political ads, <laughs> oh... It's about to go even higher as November's general election draws closer and the ad war intensifies over President Trump's Supreme Court pick, Brett Kavanaugh. All right, see if this makes you uncomfortable. Have you noticed how cameras are everywhere? Yes. Now, many microphones are going to be everywhere. Tiny microphones are moving us toward a world where all gadgets can respond to a voice command. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. Already, when you're sitting in a room with an iPhone, an Apple Watch, and a smart uh, assistant, to be careful, I almost said smart ass there, but it's hyphenated, (laughs) smart assistant, like Amazon Echo or Google Home, you're surrounded by a dozen microphones. Newer iPhones have four, and the Echo from Amazon has seven, while the smartwatch has just one. And in the latest smart wireless headphones, Apple's expected next-generation AirPods or competing ones from Bose or Shure, along with talking microwave ovens and TVs from Samsung, LG, and others, and anyone at home or in open-plan office could so be within an earshot of hundreds of microphones. Wow. Now, why is that important? The roadmaps of tech giants and startups like show how sound is poised to become the first ubiquitous connection between users and the AI hive mind the internet is becoming. So that 2001 Space Odyssey movie is coming around. (laughs) How shut the pod doors. (laughs) Driving this change are massive volumes of components originally designed for smartphones and other mobile devices that have dropped in price and grown in functionality over the last 10 years. Consider the voice-controlled trash can from the company Simple Human. Say, open can, and it opens, and then closes on its own once the user walks away. Wow. So we need one of those, man. (laughs) Walk over, open can, throw in our (laughs) leftover lunch, and walk off and let it close. Now, if that trash can starts taking it out to the dumpster... They will have figured something out. So uh, you heard about John Schnatter, Papa John's. He got in big trouble Mm -hmm. uh, by being too blasé and too nonchalant on a conference call and using words he shouldn't be using. So he's resigned as the Papa John's chairman, uh, according to Louisville Courier-Journal. Duncan Brands, the donut company, 
their CEO, Nigel Travis, is retiring and is going to be replaced by David Hoffman. And it was just announced today that Goldman Sachs CEO Lloyd Blankfein is going to be replaced by David Solomon as CEO. And then finally, this one might be really, really interesting to you. Um, for the last several years, I've used the case study of internet and retail with uh, Netflix and Blockbuster and how Blockbuster could have owned Netflix, but they passed and ended up basically putting Blockbuster out of business. And once people get used to having streaming internet in their house, uh, Redbox probably doesn't have much of a prayer either, but there's hardly a weekend goes by that I don't pull up and see somebody at the Redbox right. getting a DVD. But that life cycle is, is limited too. But... My point, Alaska's last two Blockbuster video stores are calling it quits, leaving one single Blockbuster left in the United States. Guess where it is? I know it's somewhere in Alaska. No. No? The last one in Alaska closed, so two of them closed. I think it's Oregon then. Yes. One Blockbuster in Bend, Oregon is left. How exciting, said the Bend store general (laughs) manager. We have no plans on closing anytime soon. So Blockbuster store in Bend, Oregon is the last one standing and doesn't plan on going anywhere. That's awesome. And finally, the word of the week. Are you ready? I'm ready. Our word of the week this week is screenager. Screenager, which has been inserted into the dictionary as a noun. The definition, a teenager who is addicted to screens. Hmm. So you may have several screenagers living in your house. I don't. I know you don't, and I know I don't. <laughs> but several of our listeners may have screenagers. Wow. I've told this story before, but I was on a plane. It's probably last year, and there was a three-year-old sitting next to me in the, across the aisle, and they were playing right along with their little device or whatever. So we start them young these days, so we can grow them up to be screenagers. <laughs> That's awesome. I think I had Pong. I think that was my screen addiction. Oh, I loved Pong. (laughs) Our business and leadership lesson is coming up next on Better Than Before. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. You're listening to the Better Than Before podcast. I'm Tony Richards. And in our last segment today, this is where I normally do a business and leadership lesson. 
And I was looking through my notes here last night, and I came across some notes I had made from Ray Dalio's book, Principles. And I actually made these notes from the document. So Ray Dalio founded the investment firm Bridgewater. He had the best-selling business book last year called Principles. Well, before he put the book out, it used to just be a several-page, I think a 95-page document or something like that that they'd post on the Bridgewater website. And it was basically the operating principles that he advised his employees to operate under in order to be successful. And so as thumbing through that document several years ago, I think this journal is from 2014 maybe, So on page nine of that document, he had a section called Dealing with the Truth. And he basically had nine or ten principles here that he thought were important as far as dealing with the truth. The number one principle is failure is by and large due to not accepting and successfully dealing with the realities of life. And boy, isn't that true? As part of the assessment that we use as a CEO assessment in order to evaluate behaviors and motivations and acumen and skill sets and a bunch of different stuff, one of the things in that particular assessment that we look at is concentration and um, ability to recognize reality. Sometimes uh, people's reality-based consciousness is based on the way they wish things were rather than the way things really are. Uh, Sometimes they catch about half of where they wish things were and the way things really are. And then sometimes, uh, as we say down south, they don't miss a trick. They see things as far as they really are. They're very well developed in understanding the reality of the world around them. Ray is talking about failure here, and he attributes failure to not accepting and successfully dealing with the realities of life. That, I believe, is really, really true because you can get stuck many, many times, especially in business, dreaming or fantasizing or believing in something that just isn't there or just isn't going to happen. Maybe you developed a new product uh, for your business and no one's ever going to really take off on it. No one's really going to. So if you don't understand that reality and you don't face up to it, you can waste a lot of time and immerse yourself in a lot of failure trying to make something happen that's never going to happen because you don't recognize the reality. Principle number two on this one is success is simply a matter of accepting and successfully dealing with all my realities. Let me read that again. Success is simply a matter of accepting and successfully dealing with all my realities. You can't really navigate a situation until you understand the reality of it. And he's saying that if you want to get on the pathway to success, You've got to figure out what is the reality of what's going on around me. And you've probably heard people say about folks sometimes say, well, he just lives in a fantasy world. Now, why would they say that? Because they're not successfully dealing with reality as other people see it, right? And perception is reality, but it's reality to you. It doesn't mean it's the actual reality. So you can't just go on your perception of the reality. You've got to try to dig down and really understand and be careful. The brain is full of cognitive biases. 
that can work against you if you can't identify them or know how they work. And your mind can really trick you into thinking that you're on the right path. It's called confirmation bias, where you're so entrenched in this thought, this product, this process, that everything that happens seems to be telling you you're going in the right direction, while at the same time you're going in the absolute wrong direction. So you have to learn to really size up and question the things around you to make sure. And a lot of times that's why multiple perspectives can be really valuable to you rather than just going off your own perspective because we all see things our way, whatever way that is. We're looking through our own lenses that have been created over the years that cause us to see things a certain way. And sometimes that works for us. Sometimes it works against us. Principle number three, finding out what is true, regardless of what that is, including mistakes and personal weaknesses, is good because I can then deal with these things so they don't stand in my way. Some people really struggle with identifying clearly the things that they're not good at. And those things continually become a stumbling block. And that can be for a lot of reasons. I've had people that I've coached over the years that have this particular stigma, um, which is, you know, it, it's, it's something that's blocking your sight, right? It's a blind spot. They've had that stigma for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes they believe a certain thing about a position, so they believe something else. In other words, they believe because they're boss, they're supposed to have all the answers. And maybe you're not good at analysis, and maybe you're not good at decisions. And so you think, well, since I'm the boss, I have to be good at decisions, so therefore I need to make all the decisions because I'm the boss. And that kind of logic can get you in a lot of trouble. There can be a lot of other people around you on your team or advisors that can be better at some things than you are. And you'll never be able to leverage those things until you first realize the things that you're not good at and realize that as a reality. Number four, there's nothing to fear from truth. Some truths can be scary such as learning you have a deadly disease, but knowing it allows us to deal with it better. There was a story several years ago about the Intel CEO, Andy Grove, and um, he found out that he had cancer. And instead of just relying on, it wasn't that he ignored all of his uh, physician's advice, but instead of relying on it solely, he did a lot of research on his own and really dug into the thing and was able to find some treatments and some remedies uh, to, to work on that cancer that his doctor had not told him. So he didn't rely on just one viewpoint. He went out and tried to get other perspectives and other information. Turns out that he was able to survive a lot longer by doing that rather than just listening just solely on one perspective or one piece of advice. So once you recognize it and get out of denial and recognize things as the truth, it totally gives you leverage to be able to deal with it then. You can deal with it better. Number five, when we seek the truth and are comfortable with the truth, we can then fully explore our thoughts and ideas and expose ourselves to feedback 
which is essential to our learning. And I want to just throw my two cents in and say solicited feedback, not unsolicited feedback. And of course, my thoughts are unsolicited feedback when people want to give you advice that you didn't ask for. Most of the time, it's for their agenda or for their benefit, not for your agenda or for your benefit, right? They usually have some sort of agenda they're driving that you just bumped into or whatever, and they're trying to correct you and put you on the right path. And you didn't ask for that direction or that for that opinion or for that advice. So when soliciting feedback, it needs to be from somebody you trust, a trusted source. Because if you have a blind spot and you're flying blind, for example, it, you're probably pretty particular about who has the steering wheel because they're doing the driving in that area that you can't see. You know, you got to be careful who you accept feedback from, and it needs to be people you trust and people that you've solicited for their advice, not from unsolicited feedback. But when you're comfortable with the truth, that's the key word. When you're comfortable with the truth, you can then fully explore your thoughts and ideas and expose yourself to solicited feedback. Very, very important, but only because you're comfortable with it. You already know. Most people, I believe, they already know what their doctor is going to say 95% of the time before they go to the doctor visit. But for whatever reason, they're not taking the advice or taking action on the advice. Once you learn the truth and know the truth, there's no surprises. You just got to be comfortable dealing with the reality of it and take some action on it. Number six, this is a powerful one. Being truthful is an extension of your freedom to be you. Once you're comfortable with who you are in truth, in reality, it's really freeing because you don't have to wear a mask any longer. You don't have to stretch your behaviors. You don't have to be something you're not. Once you're truthful with yourself, you can really be who you really are at the core. And that's what true freedom is really all about. Number seven, people who believe one thing on the inside and display another on the outside have heavy conflict to deal with. It's difficult for them to be happy and at their best. You're not even congruent with yourself. You're not even alignment with yourself. And when you're out of alignment, that's very painful. That's, the, that's why we go to a chiropractor is because we're out of alignment and he puts us back into alignment. And it feels so much better to be in alignment than it does to be misaligned. But when you are misaligned with yourself, I mean, that's a serious problem because you can't be happy with yourself when you're misaligned and you can't be at your best and doing your best work when you're misaligned. Your inside and your outside have to be congruent with each other. That way you can be happy and you can be at your best potential. Number eight, it works best if people can truthfully say what they really believe and have others reply and give feedback while they acutely listen. We struggle in our society today to listen to each other and we prejudge and we judge people based on what they say. And we've gotten to the point that when we're around certain people, we won't even speak what we really think because we know that they're going to judge us or it's going to create conflict or they're going to cut us off or they're going to interrupt us or they're going to debate us or they're going to counterpoint us. Instead of actually actively and acutely listening 
to what the other person says, suspending your thoughts and suspending your judgment so that you can actually display a real act of kindness towards someone else, which is when you really listen to what they have to say, thoughtfully, carefully, and actively. Number nine, not dispelling wrong theories leads to gossip and talking behind people's backs. This pervasive information destroys a company from the inside out, and I totally agree. You've got to kill the rumor mill. You've got to kill the gossip. One of the best things you can do for your business is have a no gossip rule. And if you walk up behind employees who are gossiping, you need to break it up. If you hear somebody talking about something that's not true or is the latest rumor, you need to correct that behavior. Behavior that is not challenged will not change, and behavior that is rewarded will be repeated. So you have to challenge the behaviors that you don't want, and you have to reward the behaviors you do want. But God forbid you get into the trap where you don't challenge the behaviors you don't want and you're actually rewarding the behaviors you don't want. You're going to get a lot more of it. If I give my dog Oreo a bone for doing the wrong thing, she's going to think doing the wrong thing's the right thing because she got a bone. So you got to be careful. Number 10, making judgments about people and trying and servicing them in your head without asking for their perspective is unethical and unproductive. It's unethical because every person has the right to face their accuser. You have to share your observations with people and ask them what they think about it to see if you're actually seeing it for what it really is or if you're hallucinating. And believe me, a lot of people hallucinate. What they believe they are seeing in their head is not what they're actually seeing in reality. And if you don't check up on yourself, that can lead to some dangerous, dangerous stuff. I mean, this is some gold here from Ray Dalio from his document Principles, which is now all in a book that he put out last year by the very same title called Principles. You cannot get stuck in situations that are not real, that you don't perceive uh, properly, you don't process properly. Once you know the truth, you can get some traction. Once you face the truth, you can get some traction. But as long as you're in denial, you're going to be stuck. Thanks a lot for listening today. Boy, we, we talked stock market with uh, producer Bill. We had some pretty interesting news that's, that's out there. You can contact us, info at clearvisiondevelopment.com by email, or you can use hashtag better than before on Twitter. I'm at Tony Richards, the number four, at clearvisiondev. We'd love to hear from you. You can get us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Home, iHeartRadio, and you can even tell Alexa to get better than before for you. We even have trash cans that'll open their lid now if you say open can. So a great episode today. We'll see you next time. And don't forget, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.